0: Quick heads up, this week I was on the Best Advice Show podcast hosted by a guy named Zach Rosen. Uh, No relationship to Allison, I swear. Uh, It's a fun show where people come on for like five minutes and share the best advice they've ever heard. On my episode, I talked about a secret that I learned while working in radio advertising that completely changed how I communicate both professionally and socially. Check it out. It's the Best Advice Show with Zach Rosen, available wherever you get podcasts.
1: Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry.
0: Hello, everybody. My name is Todd Perry, a staff writer at Upworthy, and this is the Upworthy Weekly podcast. This is the podcast where we go over some of the most engaging and popular stories at Upworthy, uh, Upworthy. That up where they put out during the week. See, I came in so hard and so confident, and I just flubbed it. And with me is the wonderful Allison Rosen. You know her from Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, how are you? I am
2: so excited to be back. We uh, we were not here last week, even though people heard us because we had pre-recorded an episode. I hope I'm not revealing too much. I hope I'm not giving them too much of a peek behind the curtain. But um, we did not record last week, and I missed you, Todd. Oh, I
0: missed you too, Allison. Uh, I'm also going to miss the trust of our listening audience when they found out that, that we lied to them last week. You know,
2: was it Rick- a lie?
0: Yeah, because we pretended we did a show last week, but you know, and I didn't want them to know we were pretending, and now they're going to go. I don't know when this show is made. You know, and this, as Rick Dees oh, no. once said, he said, "Todd, Todd, once you lose, once you lose <laughs> the trust of your audience, you've lost your audience." Oh no.
2: Well, but that's that's why I felt that it was so important to level with them.
0: Mm, Just in case that maybe they had lingering doubts about the authenticity (laughs) of last week's show.
2: Yeah, because it was you know even more evergreen than usual.
0: So on this week's show, we're going to go over some of the most popular and engaging stories from the last two weeks because we were off. (laughs) We've got some stories (laughs) dealing with psychology, some advice from a French chef some great advice from a, a therapist, some dog talk. Uh, we've got some breakthrough information about a guy who used to host TRL. We've got a whole bunch of fun stuff. But, but, but before we get into that, Allison, I just had mm-hmm. to confess something to you uh, before we begin. That, like, I'm having a little bit of a hard time being, quote, the upworthy guy today. Oh, no. What's going on? Well, you know, it's like, you know, to be – Someone representing Upworthy and to be the king of good news, it it requires a certain amount of attitude, a certain amount of focus, a certain amount of internal fortitude. But I've been kind of off all day because I was I was really shocked by something I saw last night. And I last night before I went to bed, you know, we record this in the morning. I watched a horror movie. I mean, that's
2: your first mistake. But go on.
0: I watched a horror movie and it kind of scared me and there's a lot of disturbing stuff in it. And you know sometimes when when you see a movie that really affects you, the next day you can't stop thinking about it.
2: Yes, this is why I avoid disturbing horror movies. I just read about them on Wikipedia and then scare myself anyway. So Go ahead. but
0: but as a, as a podcaster, as someone that like I look up to Rick Dees, I look up to you Allison Rosen. Like,
2: <sighs> oh my god, you're you're putting me in the same category as Rick Dees? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Wow. Legendary out. podcaster
0: Rick Dees. <laughs> Radio legend. <laughs> and so I was just thinking like do you manage your media intake the day the night before you're recording or before you're recording so that you keep that chipper attitude you normally have? <laughs>
2: well, I am known for being
0: perky and a ray
2: of sunshine. That's what they say about me. Um people wonder how can she do depressing stories she's just she's too much of a Pollyanna I don't do anything of the sort Mm. I get in bed get out my phone look at it till 2am think what am I doing uh but I know myself well enough not to you know what let me let me rephrase I am really bad at Uh, going to sleep early enough and like preserving the amount of sleep I get. But I won't I try to avoid uh, scary and disturbing things. So I guess I actually am better than you. And that brings me some joy. I avoid scary and disturbing things late at night because I'm really sensitive to that kind of stuff. And it will affect me not just the next day, but like for months. So I I'm very curious about it, so it's hard for me to not read about it. It's easy for me to not watch clips. Those are too much. But I will like if I'll try I'll I'll wanna Wikipedia stuff, but then I try not to.
0: So what did you watch, Todd? What did you well, do? I watched this movie called Fresh. And
2: Oh, with Sebastian Stan, right? Yes. Yes. And Daisy Edgar uh, Jones, I think. Uh,
0: my new girlfriend. That's, Jones. A, that's all I know. I, I And he's great. my boyfriend. Oh, wow! What a what a great double date we have. Everybody would know each other. Yes, I
2: think so. Right, but they might try to eat us. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I, I know
0: this is not a topic that we should talk about on Upworthy Weekly because you know I didn't realize
2: it was that scary. I even, I even considered watching it. I didn't know it was that disturbing.
0: Okay, I don't want the audience to hear this because I I don't. (laughs) I don't. I don't I don't want them to be disturbed. I don't want them to think, Oh, I put on the Upworthy show for a good time and now they're talking about this this kind of stuff. Yeah, so I'll just whisper to you what what happened. And then I feel like if I get it off my chest, you know what I'm dealing with. It's kinda of like talking to a therapist. And you in certain ways are kinda of like a therapist, you know.
2: Oh my god. Yes. I mean <laughs> I mean Oh wow! How did that make you feel?
0: How how am I supposed to podcast with this, these thoughts and these visions swirling around in my brain? I don't know. I mean, I don't know, Todd.
2: But thank you for telling me. That does sound disturbing.
0: So if I if I'm a little off today, just know, and I will never. I promise you. I promise Joseph R. Upworthy. I promise on my mortal soul that I will never watch a horror movie the night before recording anymore.
2: I mean, I have so many questions, but I think we should just move on to the good stuff. Yeah.
0: Allison, what do we got in the news?
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's a story that I personally have a lot of positive feelings about. Uh, Carson Daly of TRL and so much more. Turns out he and his wife sleep in separate beds, and uh, here's why a sleep divorce, not a real divorce, but a sleep divorce isn't so bad. So last week on the Today Show, Carson Daly reminded viewers that while pregnant with their fourth child, I didn't know that they had that many children, his wife served him his, quote, sleep divorce papers, and they both sleep better Now that they sleep apart. He said, We're both pretty good sized humans. I'm imagining them both as like six foot two. I I don't I have no idea how large his wife is. Um her name is Siri, and apparently she does some uh like commentary on the Today Show as well. Uh and it just wasn't really working when she was in her third trimester. And I also have sleep apnea, which is very sexy for the ladies out there, I'm sure, Carson told people at the time people magazine um she couldn't get comfortable so we were like a commercial you would see kicking each other and just not sleeping we woke up and we just shook hands like i love you but it's time to sleep divorce it'll be the best thing for all of us he added um and then wendy m troxel phd a behavioral and social scientist says that couples do right by putting their relationship first Uh, she said that people actually this is this is so validating people actually sleep worse with a partner. All of us, people who are, are, are partnered up, we do sleep worse when we sleep with our partners. Uh, and then here's a quote that I want to needlepoint onto a decorative pillow in my home. In fact, if you sleep with someone who snores, you can blame them for up to 50% of your sleep disruptions. I'm going to read that again. In fact, if you sleep with someone who snores, you can blame them for up to 50% of your sleep disruptions.
0: Now, what, I love this. Um, what in, what, saying, what in the world do couples like more than having a valid reason to be able to go to your partner and say, you're the reason for half of my problems in life?
2: I mean, I can't think of anything I love more. Uh, and she said that uh, the thing is there's like a lot of social pressure to sleep in the same bed with your partner so even if people sleep poorly they still would prefer to sleep in the same bed with their partner rather than sleeping alone which she attributes to the opinions of other people I don't I'm not a behavioral scientist though I play one on podcast but I don't know that it's just the opinions of other people I mean I guess maybe it is the ingrained opinions of other people I think it's also you know affection for your partner and not wanting to be alone. Um, but she says that that's you know it's a sign that we're putting societal expectation above getting a good night of sleep. But she says, don't do that. Like it's very important to our health and to our well-being to get a good night of sleep. Um, I will admit, there are times, very few though, but there are times that my husband and I have slept separately. Because one of us was uncomfortable or we have – we like a different kind of mattress. Um, no. He prefers a soft one. I like one that's a little bit firmer. Um, we've sort of met in the middle, but he he he's moved on to other complaints. But in general, he <laughs> feels like our mattress is not as soft. So while we still had his old mattress okay, and I and his snoring was bothering me and I was pregnant, occasionally he would sleep in that room. I will admit, though, I look back on those times as sad times. Even though we probably got better nights of sleep, to me those times, like I don't feel good about those. We weren't fighting or anything, but I do feel like kind of sad about that. So I guess it, it is true that like it feels like, oh, something's not going right if we're not sleeping in the same bed. But now that I have all the, uh, you know, support I need, I'm gonna march right in and show him this story.
0: <laughs> well, you know, is it? Did you feel bad because you weren't meeting society's expectations, or did you feel bad because you genuinely felt bad? Right now that there's a different expectation I I f- about this. Yeah, you, maybe you won't. Feel I think bad. I
2: felt bad. I think in my mind, it's um, it's a measure of how the marriage is doing. So if you're sleeping in separate beds, that seems like. That's a bad sign. Well, because that's so. Usually, it's nice to know yeah. that it doesn't doesn't have to be a bad sign.
0: Yeah, because that's usually Cause like the,
2: I like the. Sorry. sorry. No, I like the idea that it doesn't have to be a bad sign. I like the idea that couples can just everything can be fine in the marriage, but it just turns out that you you don't sleep that well together, and sleep is important. So you've just decided you sleep best in separate rooms.
0: Yes. Because uh, it's usually the first sign of a, a marriage is deteriorating. They start saying, oh, he's sleeping on the couch, right? That's usually the first right. step. He didn't sleep in the bed that night. And then it becomes, we eat at different times. Or it's just this gradual mm-hmm. decoupling happens, but it, it begins in the bed, right? People right. first come together in the bed. And when they exit each yes. other's lives, it's, it all has to revolve around sleeping, But yeah, I like the idea that we don't have to live up to those expectations, and people can sleep however they like, whatever is healthiest for them. Um, I mean, I like the idea in so much that if I could have my own bedroom, I think that would be awesome. Like, I could have, you know, Raiderette posters on the wall, you know, I I could have a black light... You know, I could have my Star Wars covers. You know, none of this expensive duvet crap that my wife bought. Like, <laughs> I have my Empire Strikes Back stuff, and you know, I'd I'd have a you know a water turtle in the room, and it would just be a lovely thing. And then right. I'd be able to read at night because usually my wife mm-hmm. is She's, oh just a light light keep her up. No, she she watches like Netflix up until she goes to bed, so it's usually like. I can't sit and read while like English people are humping each other on the TV all night. <laughs> what? Right? what is she watching? The The, bridge, the Bridgerton.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So, <laughs> yes, and yeah, we go to bed separately. Or when I come to bed, what happens is I wake her up, and then she mumbles something incoherent to me. Mm-hmm. And she'll be like, well, first of all, she'll say, are you coming to bed? And then I'll go, yes, it's 11.45. And then she goes, but there's a frog in the kitchen. And I'll be like, "Mm, okay, I'm going to bed now, and I'm going to tell you that you said there was a frog in the kitchen in the morning. And she's, well, fine, don't deal with it then, you know? And the worst, I I talk in my sleep sometimes, which frightens me because who knows what the heck could, could Secrets come out of one... you're revealing, yeah, but one time when my my wife and I first started sleeping together, you know, mm. sharing our bed, as uh, Michael Jackson would say, uh, <laughs> she said uh she said, you woke me up last night, I said why she goes, you were saying, no, Snoopy, I'm Linus, I'm Linus <laughs>
2: That's so
1: cute. Upworthy Upworthy Weekly.
0: (laughs) 19 people reveal the things they think are, quote, frowned upon for no good reason. So, this is basically kind of a roundup I did. I found a bunch of people talking about it on Reddit. And there are a lot of things. I think we were just talking about with the sleeping issue. A lot of people just knee-jerk go, there's something wrong or it's frowned upon if married people don't sleep in the same bed together. But... Therapists, psychologists, professional people—the former host of TRL, Carson Daly, and K Rock. Carson Daly says, "Ha, no, live how you want. Let's think about it for two minutes." So there's a lot of things that if you 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 people may have a, a knee jerk problem with, but once they think about it for two minutes, they go, "Oh, it's not so bad." Uh, and so there are some of these that people were sharing, and I picked out a couple that I like, and one of them was getting the cheapest bottle of wine on the menu. Mm. Because, yeah, they have the whole thing, and I always think, oh, I don't want to be the cheap guy, but I don't really feel like, feel like spending 50 bucks for a bottle of wine tonight. You know, I'll have the $19 bottle. But then but usually what I do is I get the second to cheapest. I think they figure that out. I think they price that out. Yeah. I'll go, I'll get the $23 bottle of wine. Well, it's only four more dollars, and then I don't look like a cheapo. Unless I'm just eating with my wife, and then we'll both go get the cheap bottle of wine, you know. uh there was another one and this one really resonated with me is people frown upon other people going places alone anywhere like the park movie theater restaurants um and the person wrote all my relatives and friends think i'm weird but sometimes i just want to have a good time with nobody i know around and that resonates with me because i'm all about like if there's a band i want to see I'll buy one ticket and I'll go by myself if I can't round anybody up. Or if sometimes you just don't want to deal with it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who's meeting here? Who's picking here up? You buy the tickets. I'm buying the tickets. Who's doing that? Venmo you. Then, and I just think, ah, I just pop out. I leave what I want. I show up. You know, if I want to go, I can go. And like I was just at Bob Dylan recently just sitting by myself on the aisle Feeling confident in my decision, and just sat there alone, and I totally enjoy myself. It's, I guess, it's a little more fun with friends and stuff, but I don't mind doing things like that. But you, people might think you're a creeper. Or I saw um, Book of Mormon by myself because
2: I could only get one ticket, but still, and I enjoyed it.
0: Oh my god, I could have because. Sometimes people say that when people laugh, it's a social thing. So like if you're Mm -hmm. sitting at home watching Family Ties by yourself, you're not going to be like, "Ah," you know, and laughing your butt off. But if you're sitting with a friend or with your husband, then you're going to communicate. You think something's funny. Right. Right. Well, I think Book of Mormon is so funny. And I think it was one of the funniest things I ever saw in my life that I think Mm -hmm. I would sit and just. If I was the only person in the theater just sit and laugh yeah. like a, a madman the whole time. Uh another thing that is unnecessarily frowned upon is not having an opinion on a subject.
2: Mm, yes. And I I'm going to agree. Yeah. Or, or maybe don't agree. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I need to think about it. Yeah. I don't really have a strong feeling.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, and I was just thinking that actually some of the more intelligent people I know are people that don't have opinions on things. I, I found that when I've worked in, in like business with people, uh, the, the, the business owners lots of times were always just like, I think when you're kind of bottom line oriented or solution oriented, your interest really isn't in, it's just like what works. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we want to know what works. Who has the best idea in the room, and they're not—they're always willing to change their minds about things. And then, and they ask you, "Why do you think that? Why sh- should I change my mind? Am I doing something wrong?" And I think those end up being the best people in business because they look at things uh, really objectively. And there was—I might have said this before on the show, but there's a guy, Colin Coward, who's on. Um, I'm sure you listen to him every morning on 570 AM uh, Fox Sports. But yes, yeah, but Colin Coward, I get always, get my morning started. Yeah, he, he always says hearing him. There's there's two types of people in the world, those that want to get it right and those that want to be right. And mm. the people want to get it right tend to be that kind of solutions oriented way of looking at things versus those who want to be right, who are opinionated and you know stuck in their own belief system. So uh, another one was choosing not to have children. I think people is do a,
2: judge those people.
0: They do. They do. And they're called mothers. They're <laughs> m- mothers in, <laughs> mothers-in-law, I guess.
2: Yeah. You know why? Because as mothers, we've just gone through so much physical pain, and we're like, we want everyone else to experience it.
0: Mm. It's really awful of us. So I was just thinking, are there any things that – you think are frowned upon that are actually okay besides not co-sleeping with your husband
2: um growing up i felt and i don't know if it's just the area i grew up in but i felt like it was not okay to not be religious mm. um and i wish there was more of a tolerance for people who aren't religious although nowadays i wonder and i don't know if this is shifting times or just my shifting age because I feel like there's probably people listening who would say that who people who are religious who are listening who would say that actually I'm religious and I feel like that's not accepted so actually so maybe more tolerance of each other um that's a novel idea I know (laughs) Wait, have you ever heard of that I don't know um you know I think I don't love shopping. I don't love shopping. Uh, I feel like I repeat outfits, especially as someone who works from home, who's like, I'm putting on outside clothes for roughly, you know, 45 minutes a day. So if I'm going to if I'm going to put on the same outside clothes tomorrow, I don't think I should have to feel shame about that. But I do. Because I feel like it's a sign it is regarded as a sign of like a healthy, well-adjusted person that you're like mixing up your outfits a lot. And I say, let's dispense with that because I don't want to have to go shopping. So that's a very personal one for me, but that's one. You know
0: um, I, I was gonna say, I think go, that yes, harkens back to middle school mm-hmm. where if you, you couldn't repeat the same shirt, In a week or else you get called out on it because you're warehoused with 30 other kids that see what you wear every day and know your wardrobe. And like, oh, you wore that green shirt on Tuesday. Todd's family is poor because, it, you know, and and that's (laughs) how mean and evil kids are. And I think it goes back to that idea. But now you have it differently where, you know, uh, people like Dr. Dre and Steve Jobs are all about wearing the same thing every day.
2: They have a uniform. I know. I had a notebook I kept in high school. It was yellow, and I would write down what I wore, including accessories, every day so that I could make sure I didn't repeat too frequently, Um, which is so funny uh, comparing that person to who I am now where I'm like, I could not care less. Uh, I also think that there's this premium placed on being a morning person versus evening person, Mm. and uh, I think that's a little... I think we should get rid of that they True. both are valid upworthy, upworthy weekly. weekly so a therapist explains how trying to be a perfectionist is counterproductive for one's well-being um, a therapist named kobe campbell posted a video on tiktok about how when people begin working on themselves and begin trying to heal themselves they can get stuck trying so hard to become the best version of themselves uh, for example, like trying to avoid getting triggered, etc., that it becomes a trap. Um, and I definitely related to this, uh, and we have the audio. So let's hear that. Okay. I need to say this healing is not becoming the best version of yourself. Healing is letting the worst version of yourself be loved. So many of us have turned healing into becoming this super perfect version of ourselves. That is bondage, right? That is anxiety waiting to happen. Healing is saying every single version of me deserves love, deserves tenderness, deserves grace. When we get to a place where we see and can empathize with every version of ourselves, even the version of ourselves that we can sometimes be ashamed of, that's when we know we're walking in a path of healing. You know, and I think that once you begin therapy or recovery or healing or whatever word you want to apply to it and you sort of begin having these insights or these awakenings and and things and you begin to look at your past and you see these the way that you were used to live and and the sort of lack of awareness that you might have had at one point it's easy to feel Now I'm gonna talk about myself. You know, I might feel shame about who I was just instead of trying to make it so universal. I'll just be more personal about it. Like I look back on who I was in my 20s and some of the ways that I behaved interpersonally with friends or things like that. and And I feel ashamed over how I just was like, I wasn't fair in certain way, like I I wasn't direct with my friends about things that bothered me, I would get, you know, if something upset me, I would give someone the silent treatment because I just didn't have the skills to say to someone, hey, this thing you did hurt my feelings. Um, So instead, I would just like be, I would give them the silent treatment and, and withdraw and be weird. And I look back on that. And I'm like, ugh. but I really don't have compassion for that younger person that I was. I'm, mostly I just feel embarrassed about that. Um, and it's like now that I know the more sort of correct, healthy way to be, I just want to be the best version of myself. Um, and I want to just like, at times, I want to just get as far away from that like, quote unquote, unhealthy version. And I think what this therapist is saying is that's, that's the trap. That's not what healing is supposed to be about. It's not about being a perfect version of yourself so that you can be accepted and loved. It's about learning to love who you were and who you are.
0: When she said that, it made me feel slightly uncomfortable because I started thinking about maybe the issues in the past that I've gotten over or issues that crop up from time to time because I'm not perfect. And the idea of loving that part of me maybe sounds very difficult and sounds makes me feel very uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, because it's almost like you're accepting, I don't know, the fact, well, I don't think I'm perfect, but you're accepting accepting part of you that you don't want to accept because you don't like right. that because you want to get away from it but
2: yeah you want to change
0: yeah you, you want to change and you feel like well if i'm loving that part of myself then i can't change but you you can do both and you can understand that you are not a fully formed human being earlier in your life and nobody's perfect in their 20s and hopefully you can have a sense of humor about it now which maybe is getting towards the love part i'm personally trying to Except the messy little bit that I am. Uh, (laughs) More so and more so these days. Because I think once I was a parent for long enough and I kind of reprioritized my life around being a parent. And that gave me job number one. You have a kid. Number Mm -hmm. one thing in life is don't mess up the kid. Try to be a good dad. Be there. Do your best. And then... When I lay down and die, I will go or, you know, when I'm, you know, spinning around the 405 freeway, getting ready to collide with the center divider, whatever, anvil falling over my head. At that last moment, if I can say to myself, you know, I think I did a pretty good job as a parent and I I tried hard Mm -hmm. and, and everything, then I think, fine. The other stuff, you know, and then Seggy would be like, I hope I was a good husband. And then, you know, I was maybe a good family member or a you know, good, good friend or, you know, excellent bass player. What, I fed whatever. my tortoises enough. Exactly. And so once once the kid thing happened, I think I became more accepting of other parts where I might fail because I'm like, well, I got, I'm doing job number one mm-hmm. correctly, I, I, I feel. And as, as long as I feel I'm doing that, then I can be like, oh, well, you know, Toddy's not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But I think that's where I became a little more accepting of the the mm-hmm. messier parts of myself and the things that I maybe was a little more ashamed of previously.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: That's why you got to have kids, people. If not.
2: I was honestly, seriously, I was so just thinking a very similar thing and then I was like I don't want to do that though because we just said we're not going to be those people but I really was thinking it's weird how how having kids kind of it does give you a little bit of if if you feel a bit at sea like what is the point of it all I I said like Seinfeld what is the what is the meaning of it all then I go well it's kind of like I'm gonna you know I don't know but I think it's to raise my kids well, but that's not the reason to have kids. It's just a nice side effect of having them,
0: right? That would be pretty selfish. You're like, I'm feeling rudderless. Might as well reproduce. Yeah. Hopefully, I, and I also I'm looking forward to you know there are people when as they get older. I think I, what I think is I think being 45 years old that I'm right now is the worst time in your life for self acceptance because. I think when I was in my 20s, I was like, F it, you know, YOLO, you know, uh, don't leave a good looking corpse, you know, go for it in life and didn't really see the repercussions of my actions or wasn't totally sensitive to everything. It was a little wild, right? So, But I didn't have these nagging feelings of anxiety about I'm not a perfect person. It was like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm great, I'm perfect, I'm invincible. And then maybe early thirties, this thing creeps in, where you start having this. Oh, I've fallen short of grace. Things are actually expected of me at this age, and and I think that rolls on. But then you get to that magic point where when people get old and they just don't give an f at all, and that and that comes next. Right. To- I don't know when that is, but I'm I'm ready for it because I'm I'm done with the self flagellation.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a bummer that that. Like, I think, I don't know, was it on this show? Or I don't know where I encountered this. It might have been on, on, I might have been listening to a podcast. A a thing I rarely do. Uh, But, like, apparently, for women, the 80s is a really joyful time.
0: I don't want to have to wait till then. And who knows if you're going to make it. You don't want to spend your whole life going, Thank you. I'll hit 80, and then I won't hate myself.
2: Right. Can I tell you, every year, every birthday that I have, I think to myself, I am too old to be this insecure. I am too old to be asking for permission. Like, every, like I for this, for like 15 years now, every birthday, I think that. It's like, when am I going to, I mean, and it's less and less so, but it's like, when am I going to finally just be like, I am an adult. I get to make the decisions. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous.
0: I think now's the time, Allison. Now's the time. <laughs> I think when I'm 80 i'm giving you permission okay i'm giving you permission to not to have to ask for permission you get me i need i feel that todd thank you i need you to pour yourself a shot of self-confidence all right thanks girlfriend i want you to have a pint of womanhood I want you wow, to. What bar am I at? I want you to have a chaser of self-actualization. Oh Sounds my God! Sounds like I just had a chaser of <laughs> self-actualization, and I want you to stop it right now. I'm deputizing you, okay? Because that is the perfect you that you're trying to be.
2: Listeners, you drink this Todd cocktail, too. Upworthy Weekly.
0: Science confirms it. The more dogs in your neighborhood, the safer it'll be. A new study uh, reported by Ohio State News shows that having more dogs in your neighborhood can make you safer by lowering the overall crime rate. According to researchers, dog walking isn't just about getting exercise. It makes us all security guards, whether we know it or not. Quote People walking their dogs are essentially patrolling their neighborhoods, Nicola Pinchak, lead author of the study, told Ohio State News. They see when things are right when are not right. Excuse me. <laughs> somebody doesn't somebody doesn't oh, like what I'm no. saying here. Mm -mm. Uh, they see when things are not right when there are suspect outsiders in the area it can be a crime deterrent now what was interesting about this is they compared two types of neighborhoods and that were both quote high trust so a neighborhood where people who live there feel pretty safe and comfortable about the people who roam about their neighborhood and when they compared both of the high trust neighborhoods the ones with more dogs saw a um Two-thirds the robbery rates And half the homicides So even though it was a place where everybody kind of agreed That it was safe It was actually even safer with the dogs present Yeah, I know I know it's tough news for some of the people out there listening You know, it doesn't make everybody comfortable To know the benefits that dogs have uh, In communities
2: Boy our listeners are up in up in pause.
0: Now, I, uh, these neighborhoods
2: don't sound that safe just to begin with. No offense.
0: What with with all the dogs walking around?
2: No, with two thirds fewer robberies and uh, homicides. Like if there's that many robberies and homicides happening in these safe neighborhoods, how safe are they?
0: Well, maybe it was taken over like a period of ten years. Okay, fine. Okay, all right. They didn't say in one week, you know. <laughs>
2: okay in one evening
0: right <laughs> how so, many
2: fewer homicides in one evening
0: right uh, so no i just thought it was great and i I'd, I'd really like to see cuz i haven't seen any numbers on it uh, the concentration of cats in a neighborhood and whether that affects the yeah. crime rate i, right. I just want to see it somebody show me show me the research i want people out there to do their own research i want them to bring show it me back to me cats
2: mm-hmm. yeah yes. show me
0: show me how cats are making neighborhoods safer i hope they are I hope patrol kittens are running around and they're noticing things and, you know, McGruff the crime cat is uh, running about making places safer. I mean, it's tough for me to see it happening, but, you know, I, I want to have an open mind about this.
2: Hmm. I'm open to it as well, yeah.
1: it's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com.
0: Allison Rosen, on a scale of one to five, one being a dogless neighborhood and five being a canine heaven on earth, rate your week. This week gets a 1.5 oh wow that's now, a crappy I, week
2: it was a pretty bad week i can't stop dancing though so i know that i'm giving it a low score but my body is giving it a high score because i can't stop dancing to the music um okay we went to tucson to visit my husband's dad uh and that part went well i'd only been to tucson once before I liked Tucson. All the family stuff was nice. My whole thing was like, I just don't want to get COVID. We haven't gotten COVID yet. I just don't want to get COVID. Mm. Um, And so all the Tucson stuff was nice, hence the 0.5. But on Sunday, Owen felt very warm. I didn't have a thermometer with me, but he napped most of the day. I gave him some Tylenol. He felt warm. Um, I gave him a rapid test at the hotel. It was negative. I'll try to make this fast. Um, that evening, he started saying that his tummy hurt. Um, he was like, he was saying, ouch, ouch, um, and crying. And Daniel and Daniel's mom, who was with us, um, felt that we should take him to the emergency room to like rule out appendicitis. I was like, I, in my mom gut, I'm not that worried about him. I don't think we need to take him. But at the same time, um, you know, going into a holiday weekend, I, I didn't want if if daniel was getting more and more nervous i could see it so like you know i was like we'll just take him and then it turns i know that i'll be right but it's doesn't hurt to take him took him in on our way in i was like but you know daniel i think that if it were appendicitis he'd be really sick and throwing up As we walk in, like literally as we enter the pediatric ER, he just barfs everywhere, like all over (sighs) Daniel's shoulder. It's like splashing on the floor. He's crying. It's everywhere. We go in. They take his temperature. It's 103.6. They give him some some Motrin. He's like miserable. Um, Eventually the Motrin kicks in, and he's like a whole different child. He's singing. He's Hmm. himself. Daniel's like, should we just go home? Because it's like the middle of the night at this point. Yeah. Um, and Daniel's like, you know, wearing Owen's barf. Um. And I'm like, I think we're, you know, they're going to take us back soon. So they finally take us back, but I think it's just a stomach bug. And I say, you know, do you have a PCR test? And they do. So I'm the one who said, let's give them a PCR test. So they give them a PCR test. We go home. Four in the morning, I get a call. It's positive. Yeah so anyway um uh, i'll make this much faster he's better now um elliot my other son is positive his case was more mild my mother-in-law is positive her case is fairly mild um she's not feeling that great daniel and i are still negative surprisingly so anyway we went on our trip and we got covid but not me 1.5
0: todd wait, oh, wait 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 are you a better person i'm not are?
2: okay no I'm definitely not I'm not a better person although maybe my like I said my mom gut thing like I have within myself reinforced my trust in my mom gut which sounds like something that you'd want to like work off in the gym (laughs) but I knew that it wasn't appendicitis and I was right um it was COVID, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but no, I'm 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 that I'm the same jerk I was before. Todd, yeah. how was your week on a scale of one, COVID without a good uh, trip, and five wonderful?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go four, which is just sub wow. wonderful. Yes, wow. I had a, a wonderful three day weekend where uh, I spent. I went c- kind of from. Backyard barbecue to backyard barbecue to backyard barbecue with my neighbors, who are all super awesome, cool people who had like little barbecues, and um, I even crashed a party of people who just moved into my neighborhood. uh, Because my buddy, my buddy uh, GameStop Steve, was like, "Hey, these new people moved in from Texas. We're gonna go over their house. You should go." And I walk right in, and (laughs) they had pizza out, and I grabbed a piece of pizza. And the guy who owns the house, who had never met me before, goes. You grabbed the biggest piece of pizza in there? And I said, huh yeah yes I did. yes I did. Nice to meet you, I'm Todd and and now we we made couple friends with the people from Texas and one of the mornings, I was playing Hot Wheels with my son and I put on uh, a hard day's night to the Beatles movie. Just thinking he'd absorb it in the background. And right. he watched the entire thing black and white 1964 movie. And the next morning, he brought me the DVD and said, "Can we watch it again?" Aww. And I Look said, "Look
2: at that! You're programming your child." Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah. uh, it was great. had a, had a good time with my son, and so I give it a good, a, a four.
2: Good. Are you a better person?
0: Yes, I will say I am, and it's it's due to my incredible compassion that I have for the animal kingdom. Mm. Not. Not cats, of course, but you know the animal kingdom. Uh, the lovable ones. <sighs> my dog, in the middle of the night, I was letting him out to pee because we don't have a doggy door, which is a long story, which would be the most boring we thing. We don't I have can- one either. Yeah. Yeah. I, c- I could tell it, but it's boring. Uh, so I was letting out my dog. Let's record,
2: at- let's record a podcast about why we don't have doggy doors and then delete it.
0: <laughs> okay. Just so we could talk to each other about it. Yeah. <laughs> And I let my dog out into the, our front yard, which is enclosed, and he's sniffing around really aggressively, and I'm just, like, tired. I'm like, Ugh. And then I see him charge for the corner, and he finds a Uh-oh. full, big, huge, nasty possum. Alive? And it, yeah. And he grabs it by the neck and just starts tossing oh. it around. <gasps> and I intervened. I said, "I'm not going to let this possum die." Yes, it is an intruder on my property. Right. So I went and I I got the dog away. I risked getting rabies because you never know that possum bites you, and then, you know, next episode I'm foaming at the mouth. Mm -hmm. You you've then then I have to get another co-host.
2: Yeah, I'm the one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, but you're you're sitting there laying down on a ventilator, and I'm foaming at the mouth. But we're still doing it. You know, we're still doing the good news thing. (laughs) They need it. The they, need. they need
2: their good news from oh, me on a ventilator oh, and and rabid Todd. I'm
0: oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. I got my mouth foam.
2: Maybe we just won't. People, f- people love mouth noises on a podcast.
0: <laughs> you, know, you know, they never write emails about mouth noises or tell you on Twitter <laughs> if you no. have mouth noises on a podcast. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I was a better person because... Uh, I extended my large enlarged heart to uh another piece of the animal kingdom before I was a great person because I was saving the lives of ladybugs and bees that had fallen into the pool. um I just keep I'm like Saint Francis, I just keep it going, oh my God, yeah,
2: it's like dr doolittle what ha- so is the possum okay after being shaken about by your dog?
0: Yeah, you know, I thought he was dead at first, but then I realized, see the possum plain possum yeah, yeah. And whatever happened, sorry. Fooled my dog cuz he's dumb and uh fooled me as well. I was like, I'm going to see that dead carcass there in the morning and I'm going to have to dispose of it.
2: But not so. Mm-mm. Whatever happened with the rat that was terrorizing your life.
0: Oh, the rat still lives in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 2 weeks. Uh, we had actually it's um there was two and we we got one I got. I found out it was a mouse. Because wow. you, you know you you could tell. Because they're smaller. The taste. <laughs> oh God! No. Uh, we caught one, and then there's one that periodically visits us and runs about uh, the eaves of the home uh, about about three times a week, and the dog loses his mind. So I'm just on the other side of crazy from it, so it's fine.
2: Mm.
1: Great. Upworthy, Upworthy Weekly. weekly.
2: Top chef Eric Repair explains how he broke the cycle of abuse in his restaurant. I don't know if you know this Todd, but mm. restaurants are not necessarily the most kind, comforting, compassionate work environments. Perhaps you've seen a little show called What's that show called? Gordon Ramsay's something with hell in the name. Hell Kitchen, Hellfire, Hellmouth, Hell's Hell's Gate. What's it called? Hell's Kitchen.
0: <laughs> yes. It was right there. Yes.
2: You know where he yells and throws stuff? Apparently, that's how kitchens really are. At least the one that Eric Repair of Le Bernardin. And yes, that is my French accent. Wow. Drink it up, people. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there's a video of him explaining how he changed, how, how he came up and uh, repeated this sort of abusive kitchen protocol, and then he realized it didn't have to be like that. Let's take
1: a I listen. was trained
3: in France um, as a, at a very young age in a kitchen. The way they were teaching you at the time was what they called the old school kind of teaching, which was abuse, verbal abuse, obviously being insulted all day physical abuse being punched in the shoulders or kicked in a boat and things like that. And I really thought it was the right way to train someone. And when I came to Le Bernardin, I was uh, 24 years old. I was in charge of this kitchen here and I applied what I was taught, thinking I was doing the right thing. I was having tantrums in the kitchen. Uh, I was very abusive uh, verbally, not physically, but verbally. Uh, I was breaking plates when the food was not good. Uh, I was miserable in my life. The cooks were the, leaving Le Bernardin um, and we were losing some very good employees in the dining room and in the a, in a kitchen. The cooks were scared. And one day, I don't know what happened, but I was thinking about why was I so miserable? Why I, everybody was leaving? I realized it was all about me, all about being angry, I decided to change completely and to basically support the team, uh, share my knowledge and wisdom, cooking wisdom in a very caring way. And we decided that our kitchen will become not a sanctuary because it will be an an exaggeration. Kitchens are very busy. Uh, However, our kitchen is very, very peaceful and we do not accept any abuse in this kitchen. If someone flips, which can happen under the pressure, then that person has to apologize on the front of everyone for not being nice. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. He's French. I don't know if you got that.
0: Oh, we. Oh, oh, oh. oui. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like this be, because I think there's a certain thing that people expect... The more high-profile a job, the more aggressive the environment. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that has to be that way. It's like, if you look at, like say, sports, like NFL, right? You're, the way you spend your Sundays, Allison. There are some coaches you know that me. are like...
2: I listen to Colin Cow- Coward. Coward? Coward? Yeah. Coward? heard I listen to him. I'm like, am I getting it right or am I right? And I'm like, I'm both. Yeah. And then I watch what you're talking about on Sundays.
0: Yeah. And, and you see, like, there's the coach that, like, you know, chucks the, uh, you know, th- throws their headset down and is yelling and demonstrative and everything. And then there's the coaches that are kind of silent and still and watch and make small hand gestures, do this, do this. And it doesn't have any bearing on the success of the team. You know, it's like if you see parents that are like, that like scream at their kids, it doesn't necessarily. Yes. It, the kids are no better than the ones where the people talk to them calmly. It's just everybody's wasting their energy because you just you just took everything up a level, right? Mm-hmm. You just made okay, we're just gonna be loud about everything, and all it does is just makes everybody look like you know they're terrible and hurts people's feelings unnecessarily. Uh, but I I think that people think that the, the more power they have, they have to act like an a hole, and mm-hmm. not true. You totally don't have to have to do that. Um, It
2: it doesn't bring out the best in people. I don't don't know who responds well to that and who works well in that environment. I worked in a place where um, an underling threw a chair because he was frustrated. And um, I'm a sensitive person. I don't do well in that kind of environment. And I flinched. I grew up in a house with a lot of yelling, so I have like a very visceral um, – it like shakes me very deeply. Um, and, and so just – in I had like an involuntary like flinch, and someone saw it and was like, it's okay. This is what he does when he's frustrated. Um, but that was a response that was very similar to the boss, who also would have these like histrionic reactions – angry reactions and it was like so it was like this trickle down like this is a environment where explosions of anger are accepted and it's like it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Yeah. You you are 100% correct. And it's almost just like what's permissive, what's what's allowed, then people will behave on that level, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, I had a, one of my first bosses was that way, and she was like a screamer, and everything was just dramatic, and it was like, and I was, it was, it was, it was a terrible environment and didn't make me any better at what I did, no matter how much she yelled at me. My wife will attest. Right. You can yell at me all day, and I'm still going to go, you know, it's still going to be me. Like, (laughs) you can, you could yell at a potato all day, and it's not going to mash itself, you know? Um, So, yeah, I I like that. But I do think on some way, sometimes when people are the underlings and the employees and it's this kind of demonstrative, dramatic environment, it gives them a sense of of feeling empowered because what we're doing here is so important that we have to scream Mm -hmm. at each other. So, Allison, I hope hope you learned a couple things from today's show.
2: Oh, I did. And I hope you did, too.
0: You know... You don't have to be a perfectionist and beat yourself up.
2: Mm -mm. You don't have to wear different clothes every day.
0: No. Uh, You don't have to throw talent fits to get your point across to me when the mics aren't on and you disagree with an idea or you're like, stop making cat jokes and you need to, you know, scream about it. I don't think it's necessary.
2: Just because a possum isn't moving doesn't mean he's a goner.
0: That's why I always I stiffen up and I play dead when you when you start <laughs> screaming at me, ah. and I, I lay down and I just go. Uh. It's a very visual <laughs> bit, but
1: Upworthy Weekly <laughs> For this was podcast. produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen, and Todd at Todd A Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week. Email us at Weekly at upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.
0: Great week, Marley.
2: Right, like, what do you have for me today, Satan?